Yeah, so I have been, uh, obviously there's a lot going on in the world um, as of Friday with what the Supreme Court um, overturned. And I, I'm gonna address that today as, as, as well as I can. And I'm gonna read some scriptures and tell some stories. It's pretty hard to stand up here and not address this. What, what I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask us uh, this morning to be adults. Can we do that? And the reason I need you to be adults is because whether you know it or not, half of the room in here feels one way and half feel the other way. And both of them would just about lay down their life for what they feel and believe. Very passionate about it. And traditionally, it seems like our, our politicians and unfortunately, oftentimes, our religious leaders uh, are pitting the two sides together and they want to villainize, and they want you to think that if somebody thinks different from you, they're evil, and vice versa. Because as they divide us, they control us. Do you hear me, church? Do you hear me? Well, you say, Pastor Dan, this is an issue. There's only one side to it, and this is the truth. And before I start today, I want to tell you, I completely understand that. Um, but it, it's a coincidence today that uh, I have two people over here that work um, for an adoption agency, and one of them, Lisa there, has actually um, founded two different agencies, and I don't know how many adoptions she's facilitated and overseen, but I know it's in the high hundreds and maybe thousands of adoptions she's overseen. She's also been there when girls have decided that they wanted to terminate the pregnancy and make that decision. She's had to support those girls along with Robin through those decisions. She's been there when moms have decided to parent their babies. And sometimes that's gone really well and sometimes it's a disaster. And she's been there and facilitated thousands of adoptions. She's one of my very close friends. And we've had probably hundreds of hours of conversation about this topic. I come here today telling you that this is a very nuanced topic. It's not as black and white as everyone wants us to believe it. Do you hear me today? And so as adults, we're gonna realize there's very little in life that's just black and white. There are lots of cases to be made. And today I stand here and tell you that I'm not here as your shepherd to allow anything or anything I say to scatter the sheep. Do you hear me? I feel that responsibility higher than I do satisfying half the room with a statement that makes them believe that I agree with them. Does that make sense today? And I instead wanna shift our focus to what do we do as a church now? Do you hear me today? What do we do now? Because the problem wasn't solved by overturning Roe v. Wade. Do you hear me today? We have something to do as a church. And so the title of my message is, what's next, question mark, renewing our responsibility. And with that being said, y'all still with me? Anybody losing their minds? Good, all right, let's be mature about this this morning. Um, there's a lot of churches this morning, evangelical churches that are spiking the football. I'm sorry, that's just never going to be me. I can't come up here and spike the football because there's too many issues and emotions involved in the lives of some of these moms who might be addicted, might have 10 generations of falling below the poverty line and can't imagine carrying their child, don't wanna go through the pain of giving their child up for adoption. There's a lot involved here. And the issue is not 
is this the right decision for our nation or isn't it? That's not the issue here today. I know we wanna make it that because it is what it is right now, right? Does anybody have any of the Supreme Court justices' personal cell phone numbers, right? So it's pretty much, it is what it is. And a lot of people in the room feel like their moral dilemma has been solved. And I completely understand why you feel that way. I think advocating for life is a powerful thing. But I'm here today to tell you that now that it is what it is, we are going to pivot and adjust as a church to address the needs of our community because God has entrusted Sarasota to this church and the needs of those that many forget about or kick to the side or easily overlook. We are a church that is called to make sure that we address their needs. Do you hear me today, church? Do you hear me? I was gonna leave this in the middle of my message, but I'm just leading with it, all right? Uh, but we are going to address it. So right away, we are talking to, how can we get more diapers? How can we get more baby formula? How can we figure out ways to find more housing for, for moms that are carrying their babies to full term? How can we provide options to them that try to relieve the burden and the fear of worry? Immediately, church, if we can stand with a sign in protest one way or another, we need to do more than just protest something. Come on. We need to do more than just pray. Come on, church. Like I said in the beginning of the service, we need to be the prayer. My brother Jim, um, who's not here, he, he's, a, he, he's um, him and his wife have gone on an amazing adoption journey with twins, and, and it's hard to blend family, and they're amazing girls, and, and, and have been really, really uh, have been a beautiful part of our family, but it is hard. Come on. And what Jim will tell you is church. Jim will tell you if he was here today, I don't know if he's here, but Jim will tell you this. He said, as they've gone on the, through the journey, um, that he has a group of friends that are unchurched. And those group of friends that are unchurched, if something, if they need something as a family unit throughout the years, those unchurched friends would drop everything. They would cook a meal. They would show up and help. They would pick people up. They would do anything. And church people, Uncle Dave, would just simply say, I'm sorry you're going through that, I'll pray for you. We won't be that church. Do you hear me? We're not just gonna pray, we're gonna be the prayer. Do you hear me here today? Here's what the Lord gave me, and I hope this ministers to you. In John chapter nine, Verse one, it says, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. It actually means outflow. <laughs> so he went and washed and came back seeing. This scripture, um, as I was meditating upon like where we are as a church and a culture and a society and a nation uh, and, and our responsibility going forward, I begin to think about this story because um, religion always wants to find... Uh, where we're gonna put the blame. Can you all handle some real talk today? Is that all right? I love you, you love me, we're good, right? If you don't love me, I'm sorry, we'll figure that out, all right? But 
Let's get some real talk. We like to blame. Why do we like to blame? Because if we can blame somebody, we relieve ourselves from getting our hands dirty. Jesus had to reach down and get his hands dirty in the mud. <laughs> but if, if it's somebody else's fault, then it's not his responsibility. And the Pharisees were no, they weren't, in, they weren't at all interested in getting their hands dirty in the mud. They just wanted to figure out whose fault it was so they could move on, so they could really find somebody that really had a need that wasn't their fault. And Jesus said, your problem is you don't understand that when we see a need, we see an opportunity for us to actually love and meet that need. Come on, church. Y'all gonna get with me today or not? We see a need, we see an opportunity. Jesus said, hey, you see, who can we blame? I see, oh no, we have an opportunity that, that the love of God in this particular scripture, I'm not gonna rephrase it for you, but he says this, he says, it's not that this man sent to his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. So when culture shifts, when laws change, because as we go on in time, things are gonna change one way or another and back and forth, we as a church see as an opportunity to pivot and realize that now that this has been overturned or whatever else is out there, there's gonna be a whole new set of needs. There's gonna be a greater need. There's gonna be things that we have to pay attention to. We're gonna to have to shift our focus a little bit. We're gonna have more moms out there that are in need, more families that are in desperate need of counseling. There's gonna be new needs. We just can't say, oh, that's it. Now we spike the football and go home. We look at it and we say, there's gonna be new needs. So as a church, we pivot and we change and we search and we seek and we figure out a way to, not, to make sure that nobody in our community goes without. Well, if she didn't wanna get pregnant, she shouldn't have blah, blah, blah. You know? Well, I mean, we, we, have, we do a ton of work, of course, in the substance abuse field and, and that work. Well, I mean, if he doesn't want to go to prison, he should stop doing drugs. What a genius. You figured it out. <laughs> After all these... <laughs> Hundreds of years, you finally figured it out. You just, when you're doing something that's destructive in your life, you just stop it. Well, if all of us could do that, we would just be in great shape, wouldn't we? <laughs> no, the answer is simply this, church. It's not who's, if we look at a need and go, well, they got themselves into that situation. We are the antithesis of Jesus. They made that decision. We are the antithesis of Jesus. Jesus specifically more than once said, that, really, that's what you're concerned about? Why this guy's blind? While you're trying to figure out whose fault it is, I'm gonna get my hands dirty. <laughs> Do you hear me today? I'm gonna get my hands in the dirt. I'm gonna get some mud together because you're worried about whose fault it is. I'm worried about, we have a blind man in front of us. What are we gonna do about it? Renewing our responsibility. We have a responsibility. We as a church have a responsibility to those that are here. Absolutely. I want every person that's here, our kids, those that are watching online, to be developing and growing spiritually and journeying forward and taking a step forward. That's my number one priority. I don't want you to think that that's not. And that's the number one priority of our pastoral team, 
all of us, that's what we want. But we also have another priority that is, that is, that is just as powerful for us, and that is our community. We have a responsibility to steward this community well. And I believe, whether anyone else believes it or not, I believe that God has placed the needs of our community into our hands. Amen. Do other churches, is, is, that, is that other churches' responsibility? Sure, but that's up to them how they address it. And I'm not gonna be concerned with what another church or ministry or nonprofit does. I'm concerned about what we do. And we're gonna get our hands dirty in the mud. Do you hear me, church? We're gonna get our hands dirty and we're gonna do more than we ever did before because there's a new set of challenges and issues and needs that are going to arise as time goes on and we are going to address those needs and address those challenges and we're not gonna just sit back and be judgmental and try to figure out, well, whose fault it is. We're going to actively understand the nuance of all that is going on in the cases and the history and people and where they're at and their fears and their worries and what they're struggling with and their addictions. And we're going to realize that things are complex. And instead of trying to figure out all of that, we're going to address the needs and reach into wherever they're at and meet those needs and leave nothing but love and grace and mercy behind, not a residue of shame or, come on, or guilt or regret or any of that, just purely the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. That's our heart. That's it. I, um, okay. I, uh, I want to read to you this, the same scripture. I, come on, computer. Be nice to me. The, the scripture that, uh, that in John 9 that I just mentioned, um, I want to kind of, it says, we together must occupy ourselves to accomplish the work of him who sent me. It says this, it says, you must take sides with me. And a little note says, John here records a remarkable statement of Jesus. The best texts read, we instead of me. Jesus does not say, I must do the works of him. He says, we. We cannot pull in two opposite directions on the same team. I'm going to put it this way to you. Grace and karma don't go hand in hand. The idea that somebody has something coming to them, the idea of karma, does not go hand in hand with grace. They're at opposite ends of the spectrum. That's, that's truth. And, and, and if you go to verse 7 here, and I'm going to kind of, extract some stuff out there. It says, and he said unto them, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the Hebrew word means sent or it means outflow. The man went there and washed and returned seeing perfectly. The outflow of waters, which is the word Shiloh, or, um, it's the same word that comes from Siloam, reminds of Jesus's urgent announcement at the pool of Siloam on the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, where he said, rivers of living water will flow out of your innermost being. It was the rivers of living water that he sent this man who was blind to go and wash in, to get his eyesight returned. And I got to thinking about the word, the idea of water. The washing of water, the, the meaning of water. 
And I know for some of you in the room, you might go to some other places, but as somebody who loves the nation of Italy, I thought about when Jesus turned water into wine. I gotta be honest with you, all right? And I went to the, the story at the wedding of Cana. And it says there, I'm, I'm gonna skip ahead to verse six in John two. It says, now there were six clay or stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with what? Water. And they filled them to the brim. If you look at this idea of them filling, first of all, um, Jesus specifically wanted them to fill them to the top. Another 20 or 30 gallons a piece, they could have been, they didn't have to fill them to the top. What? Yeah, it doesn't take that much to get drunk. I also want to point this out to you. Um, it wasn't Jesus's responsibility to make sure this wedding had enough wine. Church, hold on before I get to what I really want to say. <laughs> if our first question that goes through our mind when a new need arises, new need arises is, is it my responsibility? We aren't acting like Christians. In the case that I just mentioned, if our first question is, well, how, why are they in this situation? Whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? Why is this guy blind? Why do these people run out of wine? Doesn't the host know how many people were coming and how much wine they would drink? And we're if they hold 20 to 30 gallons each and there's six of them, that's 120 gallons 180 gallons of wine short? Somebody's either bad at math or wasn't responsible enough to make sure they had enough wine. Do you think, do you think, at some party, do you think, do you think that Jesus stood back and said, he said, it's not my time. And his mom's like, that's sweet, honey. Go get the pots. Get the servants. <laughs> That's great, that's fine. Just do what he, go get the servants and, do, and you do what he says. But he never said, mom, what, I'm not ready to do my miracles yet. And by the way, this ain't my responsibility. Can I take this a step further? I had my kids in wedlock. I went to college. I made enough money to support my children. I have a stable home. That's not my responsibility. Or even in Jesus' case, I, th I think essentially what he, part of what he was saying, and, and, I, and I think that we are sometimes in the same boat, like, hey, I got my own set of problems here. The same, like, this isn't my wedding. Like, I'm not here for that. I'm not ready for that. Mm -mm. 
See, when a need, when a real need arrives and it's placed in front of us and there's a human on the other side of it, all those questions mean nothing. It's like it bypasses it. It's like in Monopoly when you, you know, go to jail, except it's a good thing. It's like, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Just, just it, it skips over everything to let's meet the need. Quit the debate. Knock off trying to figure out whose fault it is. And let's get together and meet the need. I may not be responsible to make sure this is enough wine at this party, and this seems pretty futile. Wine? You want me to come out of, like, you want me to start doing miracles before I'm ready for wine? This is trivial. But I think it was important that Jesus was willing to perform a miracle that wasn't his responsibility for something so trivial because it doesn't give us an excuse to ever look at something and say, that's too trivial for me to get involved. <laughs> and if you think I'm preaching at you, I am preaching at me so hardcore you don't even know. Trust me. Listen, sometimes I'm, my dad is like, my dad and my uncle too, like these two, when they were in, Full ministry mode. My, we were talking about. We were talking about you last night, Uncle Dave. It was bad. It wasn't good stuff. But anyways, there was one good thing we said. He said back in the day, you know, he pastored up in Pennsylvania in a small little town called Cowdersport, and most of the hospitals, decent ones, are like two, three hours away. And he had a fairly large congregation, and there seemed to always be somebody in a hospital somewhere. And he would he would stop everything, no matter what was going on, and drive six hours round trip to do a 10-minute prayer for somebody because he, he loved them as their pastor. Like, that's unbelievable. My dad, same thing. Like, he still to this day is just, and I strive to be that way, but I gotta be honest with you, sometimes in public, I go anonymous. <laughs> sometimes people are like, so what do you do? I'm like, I'm a photographer. <laughs> You know, like it's easy in moments to decide like, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not feeling like being God's man of faith and power for the hour right now. Like, plus this person seems a little crazy and I don't think it was going to make a difference anyways, right? <laughs> this is the inside mind of, the, of your pastor. I'm sorry. Like, I don't really think me stopping what I'm doing in the middle of what I've got going on and being another five minutes late to where I'm going, the reason I said another five minutes late, if you know me, you'll understand, is, you know, I don't know if it's gonna actually make a difference in their life. And plus, it's not my problem. I've got enough people that are relying on me to try to help them. I don't need another person. And I could, you could just feel God being like, no, 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 no. It's not about whose responsibility it is. There's a need in front of you. Oh, but is it really going to make a difference? I don't think that 180 gallons of wine made some great difference in the world either. But he did it. He met the need. This is the best part. The Bible says he filled it to the brim. Those clay pots. <laughs> you all okay? Are you sure? 
This time I really do care, I promise. Um, in the Mirror Bible, it says, Jesus asked the servants, the waiters, to fill these stone jars with water to the brim. Nothing would be left untouched by the effect of the incarnate word or spirit of God impacting human life entirely. Every nook and cranny, spirit, soul, and body. I'm going to break that down for you for a moment. He filled these clay pots to the absolute brim, which meant there was no part of the vessel that was left untouched by the spirit-flowing life of God. I want to tell you this. Miracles, signs and wonders, justice, things that meet the needs of people is a two-part equation. We bring the life, the water, the spirit, and we make sure that we, it flows out into every nook and cranny of our community and God turns it into wine. A prayer plus nothing else is not water flowing out in our community, reaching every crack and crevice and cranny. Our thoughts, our well wishes, although well-meaning, if it's not accompanied by us physically and practically, give me something to see, give me something to work with, give me something that we are giving and supplying as a church, can we... Can we turn the water into wine? No. There's a scripture that says that we plant Apollos waters and God gives the increase. We have a responsibility to pour out our lives like rivers of living water all over this community to make sure that any possible crack or crevice or hidden corner will be reached by the life flowing spirit of God that runs deep from within us and pours out of us. Do you hear me, church? And God comes along and takes where maybe we can't make up the difference. God comes along and actually takes what we give out and makes a miracle out of it. But we have to give and do our part, church. So we look at this. I'm not going to talk much longer. I look, this is way beyond Roe v. Wade. It's way beyond all of that. We have no idea politically how things are going to shake out um, with lots of issues that are out there. Lots of things. I don't want to downplay today if you are celebrating this decision. Um, I don't want to downplay your heart for um, protecting the unborn. I also don't want to downplay or shame those that are here that are trying to advocate on behalf of a woman's right to make decisions for her own body. I think both of them come from a really well-meaning place and neither one of them are necessarily wrong. Do you hear me, church? Here's what I wanna say to those in the room who lean more towards wanting to protect the rights and advocate for the rights of a woman to make decisions for her own body. Are we just protesting and posting our memes on Facebook and picketing the Supreme Court? Are we actually going to allow the life, the spirit of God that is within us to flow out and to impact 
some of the women in our community. Come on, do you hear me today? Are we gonna allow our lives to go beyond just simply advocating with a post or a vote for women? Or are we gonna actually do something that's tangible? For those of you here today that say number one priority is to protect the unborn voiceless children, my question to you is, have we hit the end zone? Did we score a touchdown? Or is there more to do beyond just protecting the unborn? Are we going to be pro-birth or are we going to be pro-life? Because every single human being deserves to be loved, to have a chance, to have an opportunity, to not have a system stacked against them, to not be suffering from the decades of poverty that have come their way. They deserve someone to advocate for them too. So my, my charge to this church is if you fall on one side or the other, let your advocacy look like something and let your life be poured out in a way that impacts and reaches what you care about so that we can actually leave this earth going, I did more than just shout and scream and vote. I actually gave of my life. And as the spirit of God inside of me flowed out into my own community, my own neighborhood, the school that's next door, my family, my job, my coworkers, that when I saw a need, I did everything inside of me to meet it. And when that woman didn't have health insurance and couldn't go get help, I was there to take her to the doctor and help get her on a payment plan and even pay some of those payments. I was there to help her. And when that baby didn't have formula or diapers, I was there to take care of it and get some formula and get some diapers. We have to do more than just say or stand for something. We've got to do something that requires us to get our hands in the mud, come on, and get dirty and realize that we've got a need in front of us and it needs to be met. So if anyone in this room has felt like they were going to get out of here today without being challenged, you got another thing coming because this is not that kind of church. We're not going to come and just every week just be like, yay, we're just going to celebrate this or that. No, 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 no. Everything that happens in culture and society should make us look within and go, what do we do now? How do we address this? How is this going to affect things? What's going to happen in our community? What needs are coming up? How can we shift? How can we pivot? How can we, how can we be better at showing God's love? And I promise you, it's not going to be on Twitter or Facebook. In all my days, I have yet to see somebody read a Facebook post and go, you know what? I'm gonna turn my life over to Jesus Christ right now. And I am so sorry for everything I thought before this post. This post just hit me right between the eyes and I just, it's over. I got it. Totally there. No, no, no. Let's get our hands dirty in the mud. Let's realize there's a blind man in front of us. And as the Pharisees sit on the sideline and go, I wonder whose fault it is that he's blind. We're gonna look at them and say, you idiots because we're not as good as Jesus. You idiots, it's not about whose fault this is. He's blind and he needs a miracle and I'm gonna get my hands dirty in the mud and make sure I'm a part of him getting his miracle. Come on, church, can we say that? Come on, stand to your feet with me. Yes, there's an old saying that says, don't, don't just pray, put feet to your prayers. Uh, Yeah, get off your butt and go do something. I want everyone to take their hand right now. I'm just kidding. They're just kidding, right? All right. Um, I love this quote from a guy who's a great thinker. His name is Richard Rohr and a writer. And he says this, he says, the key to entering into the divine exchange is never our worthiness, but always God's graciousness. 
any attempt, everyone say any, any attempt to measure or increase our worthiness will always fall short. It will force us into the position of denial and pretend, which pr produces the constant perception of hypocrisy in religious people. To switch, switch our minds to an economy of grace is a switch that's very hard for humans to make. We base almost everything in human culture on achievement, performance, accomplishment, and equal exchange value or some kind of worthiness gauge. He calls it meritocracy. Unless one, person, unless one personally experiences a dramatic and personal breaking of the rules of merit, forgiveness or undeserved goodness, it's almost impossible to disbelieve or operate outside of its rigid logic. This cannot happen theoretically or abstractly. It cannot happen out there. It must happen and be known personally in here. We don't, we don't have a faith of meritocracy. We have a faith that operates on the economy of grace, which means where there's a need, no questions are asked, we meet it. Which means that no matter where anyone is, what they've done, where they're at, if they need something, we're gonna meet the need because they're a child of the living God. Leave here today realizing after 50 years, things are going to change in our culture. We'll see some good things happen and we're gonna see some new challenges and some new things happen that aren't good. My question is, will we collectively pivot, adjust, and meet those needs? Will we step up the bat and say yes? Or will we sit on the sidelines like the Pharisees and say, I wonder whose fault it is? Will we sit there and say, it's not my responsibility to make sure there's enough wine here. I have my own issues. I believe, I believe in you guys. I believe in this church. I believe in your heart. I believe in this leadership here. I believe that we're gonna step up to bat and that what we have done in our community to open the doors of this place, meet people's needs outside of this church, inside of this church, I believe this is only the beginning. And I believe that the best is yet to come. And no matter what happens in culture or society, families or single moms or whatever it is that happens we as a church will step up we will meet those needs we will give even when we don't have and we will make sure that we carry the life flowing spirit of God the water the rivers of living water that are inside of us will carry that to the far corners of our community and make sure there is not anything or anybody that is not touched by the spirit and life of God. That is who we will be as a church. Amen, church? Sure. Can I just share one thing? What a, what a wonderful word, and I appreciate Dan's heart. In 1990, I don't know how many years ago that was, a long time ago, I was invited to go to Romania with a fellow that was like the James Bond of preachers. He's always smuggling Bibles, smuggled Bibles to China, 
got put in jail for a week, smuggled Bibles to Russia, smuggled Bibles to Romania. But he called me up and said, hey, he said, the revolution happened and it's a free country now. Yeah, it happened a month before I went. And I, I, it was like stepping, when I went into Romania, when we drove into that country, it was like stepping back in time to 1950, but everything was broke. And there was no birth control allowed in the country. You, it was mandated by the government that you had minimum five children. No birth control allowed. Children in orphanages, Brother Dan, hundreds and thousands of children in orphanages. And street children, five and six years old, living in caves where the trains would go and there was places. And I walked in there in bags of blue over five-year-old children. And, and they took me and I said, this is the most God-forsaken thing I've ever seen. I can't wait to get back to Cowersport. Churches build, everything's paid for, just taking care of my people. But they, before I went home, they took me to a dump. Pastor Dan, children were at the dump fighting the rats for the food. Well, you'd see it. I, I, I was like, my God. I went home. I couldn't get that smell, that sight out of my mind. Couldn't get it out of my mind. And I said to my people, I don't know if God told me to do it. I just couldn't get that out of my mind. I said, you know what? Everything here is paid for. Here are 24 units of elderly housing, gymnasiums, all paid for. But on the other side of the world, I saw babies fighting rats for food. And maybe we can do something. Just like this pastor said today, maybe we can do something. Do you know God helped us to build two orphanages there? Rescued 29 children, put them in homes in America. Some did well, some struggled. But something, just because I said, maybe we can make a difference. And you know, that's the challenge from a pastor today. Maybe we, Cattersport with just a bunch of silly people and following me around, <laughs> had no, no clue what we were doing. We made a difference because we were willing and took a hundred trips, Brother Dan, 100 times to Romania. 30 times they went back trying to get my license to get those children, but I stayed on it until I brought the first one back and then 29 later because the people thought maybe we could make a difference. Let's bow our heads and pray together. That's good. You know, un unbow your heads. I don't know what that is. Just unbow, okay? Um, you could have easily said, that's not my country. Those aren't my people. You, you could have easily said, that's not my problem. Um, but somehow you said, that is my problem. <laughs> and I want to tell you, it is our problem, church. It is, and we will, as things unfold, we will we'll, we, warm up your checkbooks, all right? Clear your schedule. Get ready to not spend a couple Friday nights doing something else besides the movies or whatever. Let's give of our life and our time in a way that maybe we haven't yet before and, and be the prayer. Amen, church? Father, we thank you for this word. I ask that every heart is here. There's so many emotions and complexities to all of this, but God, I just thank you that you are a good God, that you are on the throne and that we as a church will stand um, in, our, in our community and be a lighthouse for all that are in need. 
we will go out and meet those needs. And today we are challenged. Let this reach us where we're at. Let us leave here today uh, realizing that um, you, you really are the one that are issuing the challenge to every single one of us. We receive it as that. Heaven is saying, okay, church, are you ready to step up like you never have before? And God, today as a, as a church and as a people, we say yes. We say yes. No matter what it costs or no matter where it takes us, we say yes. If it's a hundred trips, we say yes. If everyone around us is saying it's not your problem, we're going to say it is our problem. If everyone around us is saying it's not your responsibility, we're going to say it is our responsibility. So Father, we ask that you just comfort and surround the hearts and minds of your people today as they leave here. And let us move forward in the goodness and the grace of Jesus, carrying the banner of love wherever we go. In Jesus' name, everyone says, amen. Amen. We love you guys so much. We'll see you next week.